Hey, would you do this for me real quick? Would you make a list of five things that you are thankful for? Five things. Doesn't matter what they are, just five things that you are thankful for in your life. Get that list going. How many of you have it already? There's a few of you. We'll give you a few more moments. Five things that you're really thankful for. All right, now how many of you have five? Okay, how many of you don't? How many of you are lying? Doesn't really matter to me. Those five things, I want you to keep those in mind and we're going to pray together. Let's do that. Father in heaven, we make a list like this. It comes fairly easy for us because we can see your footprints. We can see your handiwork. We can see the ways that, that you are orchestrating things in our lives to bring about what we would refer to as blessings. Thank you for those things. It's difficult for us on the other side to look at the ways that you would challenge us and stretch us, but they're just as important. They're a part of our walk with you. So thank you for those things as well. Lord, help us live a, a life of gratefulness. It allows us to make our way through the tough moments just by holding on to the, the good things. Lord, it also allows us to preach, to let others know what you have done for us. So I pray that we'll keep those five things in mind all the time. As new things are added to the list, I pray that, that we will communicate that to other people. But most important, I pray that we will communicate it to you, always saying thank you, always appreciating you for what you've done for us. Most of all, Lord, that begins with the mercy of the cross. We're thankful for that. It allows us to hold on to hope. It allows us to hold on to a vision of eternity. It allows us, Lord, to recognize that the time will come when we will be in your presence. For that, we're very grateful. Everything else pales in comparison to it. But Lord, thank you for those things as well. In Jesus' name, amen. I had my education stretched this last week in some ways that it hadn't been stretched in a while. I can honestly tell you that I don't remember the last time I took a vocabulary test, but I was messing around with vocabulary words this past week. They were fun, partly because they are funny, and I was just having a good time with it. So much so that I was texting a friend of mine and, and throwing out some of these new vocabulary words to him, just using them in a sentence to see what he would respond with, and he was responding with some great stuff. Didn't take him long before he picked up the game and started shooting me goofy vocabulary words, just wanting to test my knowledge and see whether I knew what they meant, which, by the way, I didn't have any idea at all. I had to look them up. So we were just shooting things back and forth with one another. I found 26 goofy words and definitions that had me laughing out loud. If you were walking past my office this week, you would have heard me chuckling in there. I'm going to share 13 of them with you this morning. These are pretty good. They don't have a ton to do with what we're talking about, but hopefully they'll make you smile. Here's number one. Bibble. Tina saw me writing that or typing that out the other day. She was looking over my shoulder. She said, you put an extra B in there. I said, no, baby, I didn't. That's an actual word. Bibble. Anybody know what it means? Bubble. Well, here's the definition. Not bubble. Here's the definition. To eat or drink noisily. <laughs> you may very well have spent some time around your dinner table with a person that wrestles with bibble. Or you may have spent some time with some kids that were bibbling all around you. Who knows? That's, that's what it means. Here's number two. A doodle, a doodle sack. That's one of my favorites. I texted that to my buddy and got quite a response back from him. We were having a good time just shooting things back and forth. Before I show you the definition, let me use it in a sentence for you. 
I grew up in a home where my dad would stand in the front yard playing his doodle sack all the time. And when he got bored of being out there alone, he would invite 30 of his friends to come over with their doodle sacks, and they would play too. Here's the definition. That's an old English word for bagpipes. My dad is, in fact, a bagpiper, and he would have a bunch of his friends come over, and we would entertain the entire neighborhood with pipers in the front yard. I called him the other day and said, hey, Dad, what, uh, what have you been up to with your doodle sack? <laughs> Fun. Here's number three. Erinaceous. Now, fellas, if you are young and single, and you're dating a lady named Erin, let me give you a little caution, just a little warning. The last thing in the world you want to do to her is say, honey, you look very erinaceous today. This is why. It means resembling a hedgehog. <laughs> you got to be careful with words like that. Here's number four. Gentacular. You may get up in the morning and say that you're feeling very gentacular and you would like pancakes for it. Gentacular means pertaining to breakfast. Number five. I'm going to do my best to pronounce this for you. I've been struggling with it all week long. Part of the struggle has to do with the meaning and part of it just has to do with the spelling. Here you go. Cacarophobia, which by the way, we have a fellow up here interpreting for the deaf. <laughs> I'm curious to know what you're going to do with that. <laughs> I have no clue. <laughs> Cacarophobia. Here's what it means. Fear of failure. I've been worried about this illustration all week long, so I've been, been struggling with this very thing. Here's number six. Macrosomatic and the definition. Having a good sense of smell. You want to be careful if you're around a macrosomatic person and, well, you fill in the blank. Number, number seven. <laughs> this one will get you in trouble pronouncing it, so you have to be very careful as well. Nudiastertion. Nudiastertion. Now, we'll use that in a sentence. Brian Zimmerman's sitting back here. Brian, do you remember what you did, nudiastertion? <laughs> Here's the definition. That was the day before yesterday. You want to mess with your coworkers? Ask them the same question. See what they come up with. More than likely, they'll answer the same way Brian did. Number eight, an oxter. I was texting with my buddy, sent him this message. This is actually what I texted to him. I said, I have got a severe itch in my oxter. And just left him thinking about that. He shot back all kinds of texts that we won't repeat, and we'll just leave that there. Here's what it means. An oxter is an armpit, so <laughs> it was used quite, quite politely. Number nine, apocaloquent means using few words or brief in speech. That is not a word that's ever been attached to me, so <laughs> hadn't been an issue. Number 10, a salopets. How many of you are skiers? Love to go skiing. When you've been up at Turner Mountain, maybe over a big mountain or skiing a few other places, you ever seen somebody with a salopette? Makes you wonder, doesn't it? Here's the answer to what that might be. That's high-waisted skiing pants with shoulder straps. <laughs> Isn't that great? Here's number 11. Winkle picker. This is my actual favorite. Love the winkle picker. I am wearing winkle pickers right now, but I have a pair at home that are a lot more pronounced. You may be wondering what a winkle picker is. Here's the definition. It's a style of shoe or boot from the 50s with a sharp pointed toe. You see somebody in a pair of cowboy boots, you may want to walk up to them and say, hey, nice winkle pickers, like Gene Oji right now, sitting there with, with cowboy boots on. Those are nice winkle pickers. I like that. All right, here's number 12. Zerts. The definition is 
to gulp down quickly and greedily. Parents, you may want to look at your kids every once in a while and say, hey, you're just being a zertz. Stop it. It'll leave them wondering. And number 13, last one, zoanthropy. This is, this is actually my favorite, and you'll understand why in just a second. First, you need to see the definition. Delusion of a person who believes himself changed into an animal. Now, this is why I like this one. On Tuesday of this week, I was here at the office. Usually, Tuesday's my day off. I was working on Tuesday, and our missionary for the School of Missions came in. He was from the Christian Holy Land Foundation. I met him, got to talk with him for a while, really nice fella, John Samples is his name, and then I was introducing him to Matt Warner, our student minister, right in front of the desk in the main office area. Matt was already there, John and I walked out, I said, John, this is Matt Warner, our student minister. He looked right at him and said, as sure as I'm standing here, this is exactly what he said to him, first thing out of his mouth, well, you must think you're a Wolverine. I just lost it. I lost it. I had just studied this whole list. And I knew what zoanthropy meant, and I, I was gone, down on the floor rolling. And Matt's looking at me like I've lost my mind. I'm looking at me like I've lost my mind. And then this fella starts trying to dig his way out of his own hole. He said, I mean, because of your beard, the mutton chops you have on there, you must think you are Wolverine. And that wasn't enough because Matt was still staring at him kind of one-eyed, and he said, well, I, I mean, you really look like him. What was that guy's name? I said, Hugh Jackman. I thought, mm, look like Hugh Jackman. I don't know what's wrong with you been on the mission field too long, but he, on and on and on, this whole thing went, zoanthropy. It was wonderful. Now, here's why I messed around with all of these words, all 26 of them. I had discovered another vocabulary term that I had never seen before, but it captured my attention. We've been talking about the Holy Spirit. I was doing a bunch of studying in the Spirit and about the Spirit, and I came across this expression. It comes from John MacArthur. As far as I know, he coined the term. That term is intertrinitarian communication. Intertrinitarian communication. Speaking about the role of the Holy Spirit, he uses that expression. I've never heard it before. Boy, it had my attention. Intertrinitarian communication. MacArthur would define it this way He said, When you no longer know how to pray, the Spirit takes over and He prays for you. Now, that's a good definition, but John Piper, without actually using the term, gives a better definition, at least in my estimation, to what MacArthur is trying to get at with the idea of inter-Trinitarian communication. This is what Piper says. Piper says that the Holy Spirit is constantly guiding and directing your prayers to the Father through the Son. I really like that. The Holy Spirit is constantly guiding and directing your prayers to the Father through the Son. That's how the Trinity works in the realm of prayer. Inter-Trinitarian communication helps us understand that. The Holy Spirit is constantly, constantly guiding and directing your prayers to the Father through the Son. Let me show you how it works. We're going to go to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. That's how it works. In your weakness, when you have reached the end of yourself and you don't know how else to pray, the Spirit takes over. 
with groans that cannot be expressed in words. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that the Spirit is groaning. It can mean that you're groaning. You don't know what else to say, but things are pretty desperate. Things have gotten to a place that they're pretty well out of control. The Bible says the Spirit's praying for you in those moments. Isn't that comforting? Isn't that wonderful teaching? The Spirit is constantly guiding and directing your prayers even when they have few words attached to them. To the throne room of God, to the feet of the Creator of the universe, and they are passing through the Son, through Jesus the Son. It really is good teaching. I want to show you what praying in the Spirit really looks like this morning. We're going to be talking about it, dissecting it, but most of all looking at how it plays out in Scripture, that it might play out in your life. I read a story a few weeks ago about a grandfather that was walking past the bedroom where his granddaughter was praying. She had knelt down beside the bed, had her hands folded, eyes closed, head bowed. She was just saying her prayers. As he walked by, he paused to listen, and what he heard was this. Little girl with her sweet little voice saying, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, and Z. Over and over and over again, same thing, just repeating the words of the alphabet. Head bowed, eyes closed, hands folded, on her knees. She's just repeating those letters. Well, it had his attention. He decided that he was going to go in and interrupt this heavenly conversation. So he sat on the edge of the bed and he said, Honey, I've been listening to you pray. Can I ask you... Why are you just repeating the letters of the alphabet? This was her response. Deep theology right here. She said, I don't know what else to pray, so I'm just giving him the letters and God will put them in the right order. That's, that's good teaching. That's great theology. In her weakness, according to Romans chapter 8, this little girl didn't know what to pray, so she was just praying the alphabet and letting God sort it out. Let him put them in the right order. Let God do what only God can do through his spirit. You ever been in that situation where all you could do was pray alphabet prayers? Let me share with you some people that know exactly how this works. The man that's just lost his job and has to go home and tell his wife that he's unemployed, thinking about the stack of bills that sits on the kitchen table and the the fact that there's not enough money in the bank account to pay him and there are no jobs on the horizon. He knows how to pray alphabet prayers, offers them over and over and over again in his truck. He is in his weakness at the end of himself with no options left and no idea of how things are going to get fixed. He's praying alphabet prayers, I promise you. The parents that are pacing around in their living room a couple hours after their kids were supposed to be home and there's no word from them know how to pray alphabet prayers. All kinds of things are running through the parents' minds. They're thinking the worst-case scenarios and the the most horrendous of situations. All of those things are going through their mind, and they are, are pleading with God that none of them have happened. But when they get to the end of those prayers, those parents know how to pray alphabet prayers. Just put the letters out there and let God sort it out. Let Him put them together because He knows my heart, and He knows the Father's heart, and He's going to bring the two together. Parents know how to pray alphabet prayers. The husband of an alcoholic wife, when he sees her passed out in the living room for the umpteenth time, he's listened to the same promises over and over and over again. I'll go to rehab. I'll get this fixed. I'll, I'll take care of it. That husband, as, as he thinks about the end of their marriage, the end of their family, the struggles that they're coming up against because of all of the broken promises, yet 
tied together with the love that he has for this woman, knows how to pray alphabet prayers. That man knows how to say, God, I, I don't know what has to happen here, but you do. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J. Just put the letters out and let God put them together. The abandoned wife who has spent all of the years of their marriage making her husband successful and, and now he has left her and she is, is staring in the face of loneliness and aloneness knows how to pray alphabet prayers. She doesn't know what all she needs. She just knows she needs something and she needs it to come fast. She needs to experience something from God so she prays the alphabet and lets God put it together. Let him order the letters so that her heart can be heard in heaven. That's what she's praying. The person that wrestles with their sin and finally decides to confront it knows how to pray alphabet prayers. When they realize that they're lost in their sin, dead in their sin, and and they need the mercy and the forgiveness that comes through the cross of Jesus Christ, people in that situation know how to pray alphabet prayers. They don't know how to pray anything else, but they know how to pray alphabet prayers. And God listens. Maybe you've been in those very situations. The list goes on and on and on. We could stand here all day long talking about the scenarios that will drive people to their knees in moments like this, the weaknesses that will put people in the presence of God without words. You know what your scenario might have been. You know what it is today. And you know what it feels like to be left without words. Well, listen, my friends, in those moments, listen, the Spirit takes over. The Spirit prays for you. The Holy Spirit begins to carry your prayers to God, and He hears them. There is a command in the Bible that tells us to pray this way. Go with me to the book of Ephesians. Stay in Romans 8. Keep a finger there. But go with me to the book of Ephesians. Chapter 6, verse 18. This is what Paul writes. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. He starts out simply by saying, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions. That is not the only command in the Bible about what we're supposed to do in the Spirit. Scripture would teach that we are to live by the Spirit. We are to walk by the Spirit. We are to overcome sin by the Spirit. We are to worship in the Spirit. But right here, the apostle would say, pray in the Spirit. You pray through the Holy Spirit. You let the Spirit carry your prayers, guiding them and directing them to God through the Son. That's the way this is supposed to work. When it does, it's pretty remarkable what it brings about in your life. There is a certain element of peace that comes to rest on those that learn how to pray in the Spirit. There is a certain element of warmth that covers the heart of those that learn how to pray in the Spirit. There is direction and guidance that comes from God to those that learn how to pray in the Spirit. When we get to a place that we stop pounding away at the gates of heaven with words, trying to sound as eloquent as we possibly can, or trying to mimic other people in their prayers, and when we get totally honest with God and pray in the Spirit, God hears. We're positioned for Him to hear and to respond. And that response is dramatic. It is the response of a father to his children. Because you see, when we pray in the Spirit, we are tapping into the relationship that we have with him. As a child 
to their parents. A son to his father and mother, a daughter to her father and mother. That relationship works. We'll go back to the book of Romans. I'll show you how it works. Romans chapter 8 again. We'll pick up in verse 9. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live, because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Now I know that sounds very biblical. I know it can be hard to understand if you read it just like that, so let me boil it down for you this way. You have a relationship with God that is a parent-child relationship. And He hears you, loves you, and responds to you as a parent does to His children. That's the relationship. And when you're not sure what to say, He knows you so well that He can put the letters together. God knows what's happening in your life and responds accordingly. It is a miraculous, mysterious, wonderful part of our relationship with Him made possible through the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us and also exists in the throne room of our Heavenly Father. You are tapping into the relationship when you learn how to pray in the Spirit. Let me illustrate it for you this way. A few weeks ago, I told you this on a Sunday morning, our oldest son, Nick, who works on a ranch in eastern Montana, was kicked by a cow. Initially, when he was kicked, we thought it just took out his knee and and tore it up a little bit. But after he told us about that, throughout the course of the week, he was texting me all week long. Now, I've got to say this as a parent. I get kind of put out with texting from my children. Any other parents have a little struggle with that? Just Okay. Sometimes I think just pick up the phone and call us. There is a a place for texting. If we're just looking for the yes-no answer, okay, that's all great. But when we want to talk, I don't want to have to type it. Just call us for heaven's sakes. But he was texting all week long. I told Tina about three days into it, there is something wrong. He's not himself. Even his texts are not himself. Something else happened. Because she's a mother, she decided to get to the bottom of it. I could have kept wondering for another month and a half and just thought, boy, he's a little off. But I I poked the bear when I told her that. And so she decided to get on the phone and find out what really happened. She called her son and and he said, yeah, I got kicked by the cow. And when it happened, I went down, hit my head, probably on a rock. I was knocked unconscious for a while. And I don't know what all happened, but my back got messed up pretty bad. My neck is messed up and I can't even hardly move. I haven't been able to get out of the chair for a couple days. Now, we were able to perceive all of, not all of that, we were able to perceive the problem through the text, and then the conversation filled in the blanks. 
Well, you see, God does the same thing because He has a, such a relationship with us as a parent to His children. When you're not even communicating fully, He knows what's going on. He knows what's happening in your life. You cannot hide it from Him. Because He is both father and mother, He has the ability to see every aspect of your life. And you are tapping into the relationship when you choose to pray in the Spirit. You are choosing. Listen, you are choosing the relationship. And it works. And sometimes all you have to do is pray the alphabet. That's it. He'll order the rest of the words. He'll get them in the right place that God will hear. Now here's how that works. It is able to all come together because Jesus the Son is interceding for you. Did you catch that? Jesus is constantly praying for you. Let's go to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. Speaking of Jesus the Son, the writer says, Therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them, to pray for them. Jesus is always praying for you. Now isn't that encouraging? Jesus... The Son of God is always praying for you. Now, that's the teaching of Hebrews chapter 7, but you may be wondering, well, I I guess I don't see how that can work. I don't see how it all comes together. Well, it does, and there are places in the Bible that illustrate it for us. You may want to make some type of a uh, notation here from Hebrews chapter 7 to Luke chapter 22. I'll show you exactly how it works. Luke 22 Skip over there with me now. If you've written that in the margin of your Bible, just go over to Luke chapter 22. After Jesus gave the gift of the Lord's Supper to the disciples, they were just sitting around talking. Now, a lot of times we think that when they went up into the upper room, all they had was communion. All they did was participate in the Lord's Supper together. That's not true. They shared a full meal, and then they had the Lord's Supper. The Bible says they were reclining at the table with one another. Picture it this way. It is Thanksgiving Day. You have just finished a big meal of turkey and mashed potatoes and rolls and corn and pumpkin pie and that cranberry stuff that jiggles and all those kinds of things. You've just had all of that. You're full. Top button on your pants is unbuttoned. Your belt's just flopped open. You are reclining at the table. Tryptophan is pulsing through your veins. That's the picture we have here. All the disciples are there with Jesus, and they're just having casual conversation. Verse 24. Also, a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Now, if we want to continue the illustration, if this was Thanksgiving Day, they were talking about football. And a dispute arose among them about which team is the best. That's the whole illustration. Verse 25. Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom just as my father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Casual conversation that turns quickly. Jesus ends up saying to him, if you really want to be great in the kingdom, you're going to have to become a servant. You're going to have to become just like me. 
Just do what I do. You don't have to do what I say. Just do what I do. Now, that's all part of the casual conversation that then makes another 90-degree drastic turn. Here it is, verse 31. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. That's how it works. He said to him, Peter, I've been praying for you because you're going to come under some big attacks. Jesus could picture the people that would come to Peter and try to get him to say that he was a follower of Christ and, and he could listen to the voice of the rooster before it ever crowed. He knew the whole scenario that Satan was coming after his friend Peter. But look at what Jesus did. He prayed for him. If you're a really bold note taker in your Bible, you could easily, in the margin of your Bible, write these words. Phil, Phil, I have prayed for you. Plug in your own name. Tina could write, I have prayed for you, Tina. Deanie could write, I have prayed for you, Deanie. Alex could write, I have prayed for you, Alex. Because Hebrews chapter 7 says that he is praying for his children all the time. And Luke 22 shows us how it works. He's praying for you all the time. Jesus is constantly interceding on your behalf that you might find the answers in life that you need. When you pray in the Spirit, you are joining your prayers together with His. When you are praying in the Spirit, you are in agreement within the relationship as you're asking God for certain things. Now, there are those that would make this into its own doctrine. It doesn't have to be. This is just as simple as saying, God, I am at the end of my rope, and I don't know what else needs to be said. I just need you. That's all it takes. It's not supernatural. It's not something that only happens for certain groups of people. This is possible and available to every believer to pray in the Spirit to groan outwardly as well as inwardly before God and say, I'm done. God, I have nothing else. I just need you to to fill in the blanks for me now. I need you to take over because I, I don't know what else to say. And the Bible says Jesus has already done that. He's already been praying for you. And it is a two-sided relationship within that prayer. You see, when The Holy Spirit is interceding on your behalf. He's carrying your prayers from your heart to God. And then He is carrying God's answer back to you. That's the two-sided part of this relationship. He knows your heart and He knows the heart of God and He puts the two together that you might receive what you need. Don't believe me? Let me show it to you. 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6. Now listen to what Paul writes. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, No mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. But God has revealed it to us by His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. 
For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. When you are praying in the Spirit, not only is the Spirit carrying your heart, the message of your heart before God, but the Bible says He is seeking out the deep things of God because He knows them and He's bringing them back to you that you might get clarity and understanding and peace and comfort. And let me say it again, there's, there's nothing mysterious about this. There's nothing supernatural about it. It's just part of the relationship. When you reach the end of yourself and you don't know what else to pray, the Holy Spirit takes over and fills in the blanks. That's it. It's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful when it happens. And those of you that have experienced the return of the deep things of God, You know what that's like. Maybe you've been saying, God, I I don't know what to do. And and the Spirit's taken over for you and has prayed for you. And then all of a sudden, everything makes sense to you. You know what to do. Maybe you've you've found yourself in a place looking for great answers and, and none of them seem to come. No matter how you ask, there's no answers coming. And then all of a sudden, they just start coming. And they, they seem to be directly from God. They are because the Holy Spirit is carrying them back to you. It has not always been this easy. In the Old Testament, it was actually a lot more difficult. We're going to go to the Old Testament book of Daniel. I'm going to have Tina come up here and read for you. This is, a, this is just a wonderful story in the Old Testament. It really is. It's one of my favorite stories about spiritual warfare. Not necessarily one of my favorite stories about prayer, but certainly it is up there. I love what it says about spiritual warfare and how it brings prayer into the mix. Daniel chapter 10, verse 1. Here we go. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel, who was also called Belteshazzar. Its message was true, and it concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips, and I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up and there before me was a man dressed in linen, with a belt of the finest gold around his waist. His body was like chrysolite, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches. His arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of a multitude. I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. The men with me did not see it, but such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. So I was left alone, gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale, and I was helpless. Then I heard him speaking, and as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground. A hand touched me and sent me trembling on my hands and knees. He said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words I am about to speak to you and stand up, for I have now been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. Then he continued, do not be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. 
Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future, for the vision concerns a time yet to come. While he was saying this to me, I bowed with my face toward the ground and was speechless. Then one who looked like a man touched my lips, and I opened my mouth and began to speak. I said to the one standing before me, I am overcome with anguish because of the vision, my Lord, and I am helpless. How can I, your servant, talk with you, my Lord? My strength is gone, and I can hardly breathe. Again, the one who looked like a man touched me and gave me strength. Do not be afraid, O man highly esteemed, he said. Peace, be strong now, be strong. When he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Speak, my Lord, since you have given me strength. So he said, Do you know why I have come to you? Soon I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go, the prince of Greece will come. But first I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. All right, follow what's happening. Daniel's been praying for three weeks. No answers have come. He's exhausted. He's at the end of himself. He has no strength left. And finally, an angel. Speculation is it was probably Gabriel. We don't know that. The Bible doesn't say it. Gabriel carried a lot of messages for God. So let's just assume that Gabriel is standing in front of him. Gabriel says, for the last three weeks, I've been on my way to you, but I have been battling against the devil, the king of Persia, the prince of Persia. I've been battling against the devil, and we have been locked up for three straight weeks, and I didn't get free until Michael, the archangel, came and and got in the fight with me. And when he got in the fight with me, I got free, and here's your answer. But this is the part I really, really love. Verse 15, while he was saying this to me, I bowed with my face toward the ground and was speechless. Then one who looked like a man touched my lips and I opened my mouth and began to speak. I said to the one standing before me, I am overcome with anguish because of the vision, my Lord, and I am helpless. How can I, your servant, talk with you, my Lord? My strength is gone and I can hardly breathe. Again, the one who looked like a man touched me and gave me strength. Do not be afraid, O man, highly esteemed. He said, peace, be strong now, be strong. In the New Testament, he would have been praying in the Spirit. He would have been weak, according to Romans chapter 8. And in his weakness, God would have responded. Not through an angel carrying the message, not through anything external, but through the internal gift and indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit carries it back. The Holy Spirit brings the answer from God. The Holy Spirit brings the peace from God. The Holy Spirit gives us the ability to stand up. To be strong and stand up. Start moving again. You see, when we're praying in the Spirit, dramatic things like that happen. When you've reached the end of yourself and you don't know what to say, and you're weak and anguished, as Daniel would say, and all you can do is pray the ABCs and let God sort it out, you receive answers like this. God says, stand up now. Be strong. Stand up now. Everything's going to be okay. In the Old Testament, an angel had to carry it. In the New Testament, because of the relationship, the Spirit carries it to us. This is an amazing aspect of our walk with Christ that way too many people ignore. Way too many people just sidestep it because it seems strange. It's not. Learn how to pray in the Spirit that you might be blessed by it. Learn how to pray in anguish. 
learn how to get to a place where you can throw away all of the expectations of man, where you can throw away all of the worries of eloquence, where you can get outside of the idea that you have to have a certain prayer language or a certain prayer ability, and you can just be honest and transparent with God. And when you get there, you have discovered how to pray in the Spirit. It is honest, it is transparent, it is at the end of yourself where God kicks in. And when that happens, my friends, this church, hear me, you will start to listen to God. Wow. I'll show you how it looks just as we wrap this up. We're going to go to the Gospel of Mark now. Last passage we'll turn to, Mark chapter 9. I preached this a few months ago. It's a great passage. I, I love all the characters within it. I really do. But there's always been a confusing part to me. And this past week, I decided I was going to take care of the confusion. As I've studied it for the better part of 40-some-odd years, I, I come to a roadblock every time. And I hit that roadblock, and I turn around and go the other way, and then I come back, and I study through it, and I hit the roadblock again, and that pushes me back the other way, and then I do it again. And I decided this past week I was going to study through the roadblock. And I was going to get the answer that I needed. I'll show it to you. Mark chapter 9, verse 14. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. The man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. O unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, How long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. That's always been my favorite part of this story. I really like that because so many people can identify it with it. Lord, I believe. Help me with my unbelief. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. That's exactly how the Bible says it. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, He's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, Why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, This kind can come out only by prayer. There's my roadblock. Every time I have hit it, it has literally turned me the other way. Jesus said, This kind can come out only by prayer. By prayer. What a curious statement to the disciples. They had been given authority by Jesus to cast out demons, and they couldn't cast this one out. They couldn't get rid of it. Jesus could, the disciples couldn't. Their question, natural question, how come we couldn't do it? You told us we could. You told us we could drive it out. Jesus' response, this type can only come out by prayer. Here's my roadblock. Whose prayer? Whose prayer? Was it the disciples? Apparently they didn't pray. Jesus didn't pray. Whose prayer cast the demon out? Anybody see it? God's? 
Holy Spirit. Anybody else? Say that again. First service, folks. It was the Father. It was the Father. It was His prayer. Why I've never seen this, I cannot even begin to fathom. It's taken me this long to grab it. It was the Father's prayer, and His prayer is detailed for us right here in this passage. Listen to it again. It is a beautiful, short, simple, innocent prayer. Here it is, verse 22. It has often thrown Him into the fire or water to kill Him, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. That was the prayer. That's what cast this demon out. That's what elicited the answers from heaven. That prayer right there. Follow what's not in that prayer. At no point did he say, cast the demon out. At no point did he say, restore his health. At no point did he say, I want you to give him a normal life again. And by that, give us a normal life. I want everything restored. Lord, do all of that for us. He didn't say that. What the Father said was, take pity on us and help us. He groaned before God totally at the end of himself. Lord, take pity on us and help us. You know what I need. You know what my son needs. We've gone to every doctor asking them for every favor. We have tried every medication anyone has ever offered us. We have tried the the healers. We have tried the witch doctors. We have tried everybody. Nothing has helped. We are at the end of ourselves. And you can hear it. You can literally hear it in that passage. Lord, take pity on us and help us. Whatever that looks like, help us. And look at what God did. And he cast the demon out. This type can only come out by prayer. Simple, honest, transparent prayer. Lord, take pity on us and help us. That's praying in the Spirit. Simple, honest, transparent prayer. Oftentimes it comes out as a groan. God, I don't know what else to do. Lord, I don't know where else to go. I I don't know what else can happen. I don't even know what to ask for. Lord, you, you do. Just take care of me. That's praying in the Spirit. That's what it looks like. The Holy Spirit will guide it and direct it to the throne room of God through the Son to bring about the answers, the deep answers of God for your life, that it might meet your needs, that God will meet your needs, that all of it will come together the way it's supposed to. You learn how to pray in the Spirit because the Bible commands it. Just learn how to pray in the Spirit and see what happens. We started this message out by asking you to make a list of five blessings and Hopefully all of you were able to do that. Here's what I'd like for you to do now as we close this out. Would you make a list of five challenges you're facing? Five things that, that you're looking for answers on? Five things that you need help with? Maybe in your life, maybe in somebody else's life. Five things that, that you don't know what to do with. You'll come up with them. You don't have to think that hard. And then would you start praying in the Spirit about them? See what God does. You watch. See what God does. Why don't you stand and pray with us? Father, the depth of relationship that you have given us through your son is soul-stirring and mind-boggling. Just this simple ability to talk to you is 
It's beyond our comprehension. But Father, you command us to, to take it even deeper than our minds want to. You command us to take it into our spirits that we might get into yours. That type of soul prayer matters. So my prayer is that you'll teach us all to do that. Every one of us. I know that sometimes that means you have to lead us to the end of ourselves. That can be a difficult place to be. That can be hard to be stretched to that spot that we might actually find the deep things of you that we need. So Lord, stretch us. Take us where we need to go and we'll follow. You just take us where we need to go. Father, I know that that's a bold prayer. I know it's a scary prayer. I'm praying that those in the audience today, the congregation will be willing to pray it for themselves. In Jesus' name, amen.